0: Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast, Tuesday Theology Edition. At Scotts Hill, one of our core values is studying God's Word. So on Tuesday nights, our pastors teach a class focused on topics within systematic theology. They do this to equip our people with the right knowledge of God. This podcast is a recording of that teaching session. Enjoy. Well, good evening. It's 7 o'clock. We'll go ahead and start. And let me begin with a word of prayer, okay? Father, thank you for the wisdom that you grant to us through your word, and Father, through the revelation that you give us to, of yourself through your word, through the Lord Jesus, and Father, through your Holy Spirit. And Father, as we have gathered here tonight again, and some of joining us online, I thank you, Father, that, that we have a heart and a hunger to know more of the truth of your word, and Father, to understand theology and doctrine. Father, we recognize that the secret things of the Lord belong to you, but the things that you reveal are given to us and to our children's children. And so therefore, Father, we want to be good stewards of the things that you teach us. Father, we want to learn more. But Father, in all of our learning and all of our pursuit of knowledge, Father, we desire that this would drive us closer to you into a deeper relationship, Father, into a broader understanding of your character and your majesty, and Father, ultimately, to bring us to a place of incredible worship. And Father, that is our desire even tonight as we continue. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and in the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, it's so good to see all of you here again. Congratulations, you're the one who is still hanging in there. We're dealing with some heady topics, and uh, tonight's topic certainly is not something that is very light. It's some things that we're gonna give great consideration to. In the last couple of weeks, you've dealt with some topics. One, two weeks ago was the, the Trinity, which for many people, it's a difficult thing to grab hold of, and then last week, you had the opportunity to study about creation and um, looked at all the different nuances of creation and the different positions that are on that. But tonight, we're gonna deal with a doctrine that has created a lot of confusion for many believers over the years. It has even brought a lot of division within the body of Christ, and we're gonna talk about that in just a couple of moments. Those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much for inviting us into your home as we study these different topics. So tonight, we're gonna deal with this issue called providence providence a lot of times we use that word lightly a lot of times we use that word in sentences and a lot of times we don't really give consideration to what all that means because we live in a culture today that really doesn't rest much on the providence of god does it matter of fact we live in a culture today that does everything it can to deny that god is involved in our lives And there are a lot of phrases that we use and words that we use that really give evidence to this. And in fact, if we're honest, even as believers, we use these words ourselves. I find myself using these words from time to time, and and they do really communicate a lot. Let me give you some of the words that we use in our culture that really kind of remove the importance of God's involvement in our lives. So you know these words. How about this one, luck, luck. Boy, that was a lucky catch those Braves made. You know, boy, that that as luck would have it, man, I was able to avoid that accident. Man, I was so lucky today that I got off work early. You know, think about the way we use that word luck. Or here's another one coincidence. What a coincidence. Coincidentally, I happened to run into her today. And we use this word coincidence as something that just happened on its own. How about this one? Boy, that was a turn of fate. It must be fate that we met in this place today. And we use that quite often. Or this one, karma. I went to my dentist not long ago and I had a problem in the tooth and he was going to fill it. And when I got there, I told him, I don't have any pain anymore. It's gone. He looked at my tooth. He said, oh, well, you know, that crack that you had actually has filled itself in, man, you've got some good karma going on. And I told him, I said, no, I got some good Holy Spirit in me is what I got. And so a lot of people will use the phrase karma. Oh, how about this one happenstance? well it just so happened that today this came about now here's the question i want to ask you and i want you to be honest this evening how many of you find yourself using these phrases when certain things happen in your life i mean it's okay we do i mean some of us use the word lucky oh man that was i was so lucky today oh man what a coincidence we do those things now When we use those words, what are we really communicating that the culture wants to hear? Or when we use those words, what are the things that we are inadvertently communicating that maybe we don't really mean to communicate? God's not in control. Okay, God's not in control. God had nothing to do with the meeting of this individual today, or God had nothing to do with what I was able to achieve or accomplish in the course of the day. And I find myself doing it, and I've told um, our staff um, in the past, we should never use the word luck because in the economy of God, there is never such thing as coincidence. In the economy of God, there's never such a thing as luck or karma or happenstance. When we look at this issue of providence, what we're going to see is how God is involved in our lives. Now, this thing of um, providence has created a lot of problems in the life of the church for many centuries. And really, in, in, the, in the midst of that, it has created a problem. And maybe in your own minds tonight, in your own hearts, as you're dealing with this issue of providence, you're thinking, okay, here's what I'm trying to reconcile here. I'm trying to reconcile the reality that God is in charge of all things, and He accomplishes His good pleasure. Yet, if God is in charge of all things, and we have the ability to make choices and have free agency, As human beings how do I reconcile those two things does God just treat all of us as mere puppets is he just simply pulling the strings in our lives and we don't even know it and therefore if he is do we really have free agency or is there really anything that we're choosing and if we're not then God is just simply this master puppeteer and we are just simply on his strings through the course of church history people have struggled with this issue and there are primarily two groups that have developed out of this we're not going to go into depth about these two groups tonight we're going to look at them more when we deal with the doctrine of election but two of those groups is what we would call calvinist or reformed theologians and then arminians and the difference between the two groups really fall into these areas Calvinist or Reformed theologians put a great deal of emphasis on the sovereignty of God and His providence over all things. Arminians put a great deal of emphasis on the free agency of man or the free will of man. And over the years, they've had a number of debates over this. And so even when it comes to the issue of providence... There's a great debate. That's why at the back of your book, in this lesson for tonight, in chapter 8, you will see that there are Arminian oppositions towards um, maybe reformed thinking of providence. We're not going to get into the Arminian thing tonight uh, because we just simply won't have time. We're going to run out of time as we deal with this heady thing of providence. But this is nothing new. This is something that we've struggled through. And you may have struggled this week as you read this. Maybe you didn't read it, or maybe you read it and you felt, I really don't understand it. So we're going to talk about this tonight. And so here's how we're going to do it tonight. We're going to walk through the way that Wayne Grudem lays it out. We're going to kind of break it down. I'm going to give some points of what we've read. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions. And this is going to be a real opportunity for, to you tonight to be able to share Whether it's a confusion, whether it's, I don't understand this, how can this be, or this is how I understand it, we want to be able to walk through this together, okay? Now, I've studied this for years, and there are always issues of it that we don't fully get, because it's a mystery, and it's hard to understand all of these things. But what we're going to do is we're going to rely on the teaching of Scripture again, and what God's Word has to say, okay? So those are the ground rules for tonight. And what we'll do is we'll begin primarily with the definition that he gives us. And I'm just going to throw that up there on the screen. He says that providence is basically broken into three areas is the way that he breaks it down. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, number one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties uh, with which he created them. In other words, he's going to maintain his creatures and the order of nature in the way that he's designed them. Secondly, he cooperates with creative things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act the way that they do. And then thirdly, he directs them to fulfill his purposes. These are the three points of providence as we look at it. Now, let me just give you a bigger picture. Providence is like a subsection of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty says that God does what he pleases, and everything he does pleases him. God never makes a mistake. God is over all things. There is nothing that ever takes him by surprise. There's nothing he does not know. So in His sovereignty, He's over all things, but underneath that sovereignty, the way that works itself out is through this issue of providence. And so if we look at providence in these three things, let's break it down in the way that He describes them in the book, and we're going to look at three major sections that He breaks down. The first one is the preservation, and when He talks about that God preserves all of His creation. And His providence is that He is constantly involved in the things that He has created. He puts it this way. God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties with which He created them. Now, that just simply means that they function according to the way God designed them. He points out three scriptures that I think are very, very important. First of all, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He says that Christ is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He is not just sustaining the universe, but Christ is like a picture that he is holding everything together. In fact, Colossians chapter one, verse 17. He says, in him, all things literally are held together. You know what? Physicist for, um, Hundreds of years, I say hundreds of years, for, for some time, physicists have understood that there is some force that's holding all molecules together. And if those molecules at any point would be divided, then you would have atomic blasts. And physicists are saying that they don't even know what is the power that holds all things together. One says that no one of us should have the right to walk around with that many molecules that could at any moment explode. And some unknown force is holding the entire universe together. That's Christ, that all things are under his control and His providence is that He's continuing to hold them together. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, He talks about all of creation, the things that were created in the heavens and on the earth and in the seas, you preserve all of them. So this part of God's providence, a lot of times is pretty easy for us to understand, isn't it? That He is holding all things together. Now, here's the question that I want you to answer. What are some examples of things that God has preservation over? That He preserves them, they act according to the way He created them, and they always act according to the way He's created them. What are some of the things that you saw in the book or some things in nature that you could say, yeah, God is preserving these things? Somebody tell me. Water, water. She read her book. All right. And, and how is He preserving water? Yeah water does what water does and then when you look at water whether it's frozen or liquid you know it's always or gas is always in the same way it always functions as water it's pretty predictable um, when you deal with the issue of water and God is preserving that function what else somebody said something The the solar system okay let's take planetary movement let's take the laws of planetary movement They are predictable and they operate in the same way consistently. What are some other things? Grass, grass. I don't know about you, but the grass in my yard, it doesn't, not really predictable. It dies and I don't know what it does half the time. But you're right, God controls the grass, he grows the grass, it's predictable, it does the same thing. What are some other things? Sunrise, sunset, yeah. That's pretty predictable and we're glad that it is, aren't we, yeah any others animals, animals? okay we're gonna get into that in that next one but yes they are designed the way that God's created them an animal doesn't necessarily have to think and reason and they can't do that they operate by instincts now you might think your dog or your cat is specifically smart but they operate by instincts in the way that God has created them okay Or here's some other ones, throw them up there. Water, we talked about grass, we talked about, how about gravity? Gravity, you don't break the law of gravity. The law of gravity usually breaks you. So it works the same way, planetary movement and scientific method, we talked about that. What about technology? You talk about electricity, you talk about the way all of these things work, technology changes, but it usually is pretty predictable. So here's what. When you deal with preservation, God's providence is He's working over all of these things. Now, here's the question I have for you. In what ways does God's providence, through preservation, encourage you? As you read about this and you think, wow, God is over all these things, how does it encourage you? You can count on it, okay? It's predictable, it's not going to change unless... Some miracle happens like Jesus was able to do and suspend the laws of physics and walk on water, calm the, the storms, things such as that. Yeah, it's predictable. Somebody else. How does it encourage you? It's a good thing I'm not in control. It's a good thing you're not in control? Okay, boy. Yeah, we would not be good at being God, as I said a couple of weeks ago, huh? Mindful of you. Yeah, that's a great, because now it's becoming very personal, isn't it? Yeah. What else? Who else? How does it encourage you to know God's providence in His preservation? Okay. Very comforting. Anybody else? His love? I wrote three things down. Let me give them to you. God is intimately involved with His creation. God is not a deist. He didn't wind up the world, let it go, stand back, and say, okay, I'm just gonna let it run till it runs out of time. He's not a deist. He is intimately involved in his creation, which means he's intimately involved with us. Here's the second thing. He is ultimately in control of his creation. Now we can rest assured that he is in control of all things. Then I wrote this other statement down that you and I sang as children. He's got the whole world in his hands. And when we deal with providence, we're dealing with him, not just creating, not just sustaining, but upholding everything. And you realize at any moment, if the Lord Jesus released it, it would no longer exist. And so every bit of it is under his control and his authority. And for me, that does give great comfort. Because He's intimately involved. We we serve a God who knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. Now, you and I don't care much about sparrows falling to the ground. Or we certainly don't think... How many of you get up and drive to work and think, I wonder how many birds are going to die today? You don't do that. Neither do you care. But God does. Because He's intimately involved with every bit of it. And He's ultimately in control of all of it. You know, we we can think about all the possibilities of disastrous events taking place, and yet when we know the God of the universe, we can absolutely be comforted and secure that He's over every bit of it. So the preservation part of God's providence for me is not really that difficult to grasp. I I think of all the pieces of providence, this is the easiest one because we've been taught he's got the whole world in his hands ever since we were little kids. But now we come to the second part that I think is gonna be the challenge, concurrence. When we deal with concurrence, we're dealing with God working concurrently with humanity and all of nature together. And we can see that his hand is involved in all of it. God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act the way they do. Now, when you read that, it sounds like God is a puppeteer, and we're the puppets, that he's going to be pulling the strings. But that's not what concurrence is speaking about. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, one of my favorite verses is, God works and directs all things after the counsel of His, what? Good pleasure. Of His will or His good pleasure. And this is always working to fulfill God's desire for His own good pleasure. And everything that's been created is for the pleasure of God. You were created for the pleasure of God when god in the trinity the father son the holy spirit before anything was created were they complete in and of themselves were they lonely was there perfect community thank you <laughs> uh, yes to all of those but it was god's pleasure that he decided to create us for his own pleasure and so the one thing that i'm constantly reminded of is in christ and we're hidden away in christ We are to the praise of His glorious grace, as Paul says over and over in the book of Ephesians. So when we look at this issue of concurrence, he breaks it down into a number of different areas, okay? And this is where we get into all the different things. What are all the things? One is inanimate creation, okay? That's dealing with snow, rain, clouds, God works and uses things such as this to His good, um, whether they, they may be beneficial to humanity or not. We see times in Scripture where He withholds the rains. We see times where He sends the rains. We see Jesus says He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And so we see His common grace that we're going to look at later is for over all of humanity. So we see that God works in conjunction with that. We see secondly, that he works in conjunction with animals. We talked about that, he gives the instincts to animals and many times he can instruct animals to do what he wants them to do. Remember Balaam's donkey? Um, The only talking donkey in the scriptures. And we see that, we see that God brings the animals to the ark with Noah and they were not afraid of humanity at that time and we could see other instances where God uses that he raises up a she-bear to kill 40 kids who were picking on um, who was it Elijah they what were they saying to him go up bald head go up bald head so y'all don't say that to Brian in the back because you might get a she-bear coming down on you or something but the thing is God ra- uses those. And so you could see that that animal acted within its own design, yet God used that animal in such a way to accomplish a purpose. So he could do it through animals. Seemingly random or chance events. Remember what he used there as an illustration? You remember? In the, old, in the New Testament and Old Testament, they often, threw these things, casting lots... Yeah, they were were so trusting in the sovereignty of God that even when they cast lots, they believed that God would use the outcome of that. Now, I'm glad we don't really do that today. That'd be like throwing dice. How would you like to pick your next pastor by throwing dice? You know, we're going to throw some dice here. We're going to trust God that this is going to fall in the right way. But in the New Testament, particularly with the apostles, they did that. Number four, events fully caused by God and fully caused by creature as well. This is where he talks about that primary and the secondary. The primary is what God is working behind the scenes. The secondary are those objects that he uses within the way that he designed them to be used for his glory and for his good. And then the affairs of nations. We see constantly God is raising up nations And then he's bringing nations down. See, this all through the Old Testament, don't we? When you look at Daniel and his vision of the, the, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, it was of gold, and then it was of silver, then it was of bronze, then it was iron, and then it was iron and clay. And then when you look at that, you can see the beautiful picture of all the nations that God was raising up to accomplish His plan. The gold was Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the silver was the Medes and the Persians, and then you see the, the the brass was Alexander the Great and the Greeks, and then you see, of course, the Romans, and then you see a mixture of Romans and other governments throughout the world. And so, we see a picture of that, of God's providence in raising up nations and bringing them down for His own purpose. And then the last one, is all aspects of our lives. that He talks about the fact that God has providence in all aspects of our lives. He uses illustrations in there such as um, God gives us our daily bread. God sustains our lives. God does all kinds of different things that helps us to see that His providence is over us and preserving and taking care of us. But then comes the concurrence part that we sometimes struggle with. And here's the question that I have for you. Now I want you to pay attention to this question, and then I'm gonna give you some instruction on what to do with it, okay? If God does indeed cause everything that comes about in the world, then does this remove the free agency of men and women? If God causes all things to come about that takes place in the world, does God remove our free agency? Now here's what I want you to think. You have a friend or a coworker, a co-worker that comes to you and asks you this question. If God is providential and He's in charge of all things, He's working and directing the counsel of His good pleasure through all things, do we have a free agency or a free will? How would you answer that person? Based upon what you've read, based upon what you understand, what would you do and how would you answer that?" Okay, what she said was, we have a free will, and we have willingly make the choices that we make, but because of God's providence, He ultimately works His way through and even utilizes the choices that we make, whether they're even good or bad, to accomplish His good purpose. And that is a picture of concurrence that she's just laid out. Okay, that's a great question, that's, that's a great response. Now, anybody else? What else would you say? Yes, yes, you, th- you look in the book of Acts where he says that, that um, you crucified Christ, but it was by the predetermined plan of God. And so the providence of God from eternity past And and the the foreknowledge of God knew that he would send his son, Christ, to be crucified, yet it would be accomplished at the hands of sinful people who ultimately are responsible for their sinful acts. Here's what Grudem says in in his book. He says, God causes all things to happen but that he does so in such a way that somehow upholds our ability to make willing responsible choices choices that have real and eternal results and for which we are held accountable now here's the crazy thing if god allows us to make choices and he uses those choices to accomplish his good pleasure that does not absolve us from the choices that we made as you've said, that we're still responsible for sinful choices. Now, the question that I would ask you, based upon that, is that there are some illustrations that we can look at. You remember the book of Esther? Remember the whole storyline of Esther? You've got the king of Persia, um, Ahasuerus, who who is having this six-month party with all of his generals. They're all drunk and he wants to bring his queen out one night, Vashti. And Queen Vashti, whatever it was that he wanted her to come out, dressed only in her crown, it says. Some suggest that she was to come out naked, wearing only a crown. That's probably not what it meant, but it was some way that was disrespectful to the queen, so she refused to come out. And God used that selfish, drunken state of Aesuerus to make that that... that command for her to come out, and when she didn't come out, he got so mad that he disposed her as a queen. And so God used his decision and his actions to bring about a plan that would ultimately protect the people of Israel. And then some guy on his his cabinet decided, let's have a beauty pageant. And we're going to find the most beautiful person to be the queen, and she will be set in place in that. And all of that was carried out by the actions of individuals, and yet God is working in the midst of all of that. Now, the interesting thing about the book of Esther is it is not in the collection of Dead Sea Scrolls because they believe that there's because there's nowhere in the book of Esther is the name of God mentioned. But here's the wonderful picture of the whole book of Esther, is even though we don't see the name of God mentioned... God is always behind the scenes, always working and directing all things at the counsel of His good pleasure, and He uses the willful choices of people, whether they're good or they're bad. And He can work all of this together in such a way that it's not like He's pulling the strings. It's not like He's doing all of these things causing us to do this, though sometimes... He is definitely working and leading people. Let me give you another illustration that's not in scripture. Alexander the Great. One of the great um, things that Alexander the Great wanted to do in his legacy was to leave the world with a common language. Because the world was so divided in all of its languages since the Tower of Babel, and so he wanted to, a common language. So as he's conquering the world, he's teaching the world Greek, and so people are learning Greek. And so this common language is established after Alexander the Great. Then Rome comes along, which are the, the iron legs of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then when he comes, the Rome comes along, what do they do? They want to create a travel system where people in the world can travel safely from one country to the next. And they develop what was known as the Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome. And then in the peace of Rome, here's what we discovered. That with the peace of Rome and the highways and one language was finally connecting the known world together. Of all the times that Jesus could have been born, he was born in that world. And he died in that world. Why is that significant? Because after his death, the apostles could freely travel through the known world, protected by the Roman government, with one common language and telling the world the good news of Jesus Christ what was the new testament written in greek greek and the whole world can hear this here again here's the picture of god working behind the scenes and he's using people in such a way that these are choices of theirs he he may have put this in their hearts the scripture says that he put in king cyrus's heart to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. He put in King Cyrus's heart to go and, and, and allow Zerubbabel and others to go and to reestablish Jerusalem. And so what God does is he uses people and gives them the freedom to be able to walk within those willful choices, whether they're good or whether they're bad. And so this concurrence is God is always behind the scene. And again, we don't fully understand how all of that works. Now, the issue of concurrence includes both God's purposes and man's actions to always achieve his goals. Now, there's one other piece that is the most difficult, and you've read about this. And it goes to, what about evil? What about evil? How do we reconcile Evil and God using evil without God being complicit in doing evil. Does that make sense? So how does God allow evil? And if God's in charge of all things and he ordains people to do evil things, how in the world can that happen without him being responsible for evil deeds? In other words, here's the question I want to ask you. If God does indeed cause everything that comes about in the world, then what is a relationship with God and evil in the world? Does God actually cause the evil actions that people do? If someone asks you that question, how would you respond? Does God actually cause people to do evil things and He uses it? How would you respond to that? I told you these are some heady things. Vic. Okay. Okay. God knows all of our hearts. He knows the propensity of the sinful nature that we have. And so God can allow us. Now, one of the things that he uses that I don't necessarily agree with the word, and and we'll highlight this a little later, but he says that God ordains some things to be, some people to do evil things. And some people say, no, he doesn't ordain people to do evil things. He allows people to do evil things. And that certainly is true in our world, isn't it? We see it every single day. And some people will say, well, if God's in control of all things, what's the difference? If He allows it, does He not ordain it? And so sometimes we're getting into some semantics here, and we're getting in some deep waters, again, that we don't fully understand. Um, but one of the things that we have to know, yes, would you raise your hand? Yeah, th- th- and that was one of the illustrations. My next question was going to be, what are some illustrations that you can use from Scripture that demonstrate that God uses the sinful choices of humanity to accomplish His good? Okay, yeah, Joseph. Beautiful picture of it. Matter of fact, I got it right up here, I think. God, he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. Okay. He says, yeah, God sent me here. Now, who was it that, that threw him in the pit? His brothers, yeah. Who was it that sold him to the Ishmaelites? His brothers. Who was it that had him, um, who purchased him? Potiphar. Who was it that had him basically thrown into prison? Mrs. Potiphar, and uh, yeah, and uh, and then he's in prison for all those years, and then it says after two full years, then he meets the cupbearer and the baker. But what we see is he doesn't say, "You sent me to Egypt." He said, "God sent me to Egypt." That God is the one who is behind all of these things that actually orchestrated the events for me to be. You know what it says about Joseph when he was in prison? It's really interesting. One of the Psalms says that in prison, God put iron in his soul. God prepared him to be the prince in a prison. And it was there where he learned to manage and to rule himself and to rule others. And yet, so all of that, this is who God did this. You know, it's interesting that when you look at Jeremiah and he's writing to the people who had been exiled and he's writing in in Jeremiah 29, he's saying to them that God sent you here. And, And so we see the hand of God even in the midst of evil choices. But then he says this, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There you have that concurrence, okay? You meant it for evil, God used it for good. And one of the phrases I love to use is when people bring about tragedy, God can bring about a triumph in the midst of all of that. And many times, what we think is that when humanity is in absolute control, God can even take the depraved thinking of people and use them to accomplish some of his greatest things. And yet he does it in a way that he allows them to make the choices where they think they're in control and he's always working behind the scene. So here's the thing that I would ask another question. And I think this is kind of helps us to see this. Did God cause the men to sin or did God know about the sinfulness of their hearts, allow them to act accordingly and then use it for His glory and His people's good. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Let me ask you, in your own life, have you ever had a time maybe of disobedience and rebellion, and yet even in the midst of that, God used it for His own glory? Now, you're still responsible for it. We are still called to repent of it, But there are times that God can use that even in our own lives. Or He can use it in the lives of maybe people hurting you or doing injustice to you. And yet He uses that very thing as the platform to bring you to a place that you never would have been if it had not been for that. You see, God's providence is always working around us. Here's the thing that I want you to really think of. Providence is God's simply working behind the scenes in ways we cannot understand now I don't think anybody in this room can raise their hand and say man I got a grasp on this now I do think we can say I get it I trust it I don't fully understand it but the thing that it helps me to see is how magnificent God is that He knows every single potential choice that we make and how that may impact my life and the lives of other people. And so, this whole thing of concurrence is just simply God working behind the scenes, allowing individuals to make choices, sometimes putting into their hearts things that He is calling them to, even ungodly people, that He can move them in a direction. To accomplish His good pleasure. Now, the second, the next thing that we we um, have on here is that He lays out in a book, and we'll probably go pretty quickly through these. What he, he, here's here's the thing that we need to understand when it comes to God bringing His wrath and His judgment. Here's where we struggle with evil. A lot of times. When bad things happen to people, we want to say God is evil. Or if judgment comes on people, we want to say it's not fair. But here's the reality not one person among us deserves God's goodness, do we? Not one of us. Not one of us deserves God to be fair with us. Not one of us deserves God to be merciful to us or to be gracious to us. If we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sins must die, if God is just, then the right thing to do is to bring righteous judgment. And yet, we live in a world that when God exercises His righteous judgment... We want to say that he is unjust. But here's the the statement that I wrote. Let's see if it's up there. Did I put it up there? Maybe I didn't. No, here it is. I wrote this. None of us can ever accuse God of doing evil to people who do not deserve his goodness. We can never accuse him of that. We can never say, God, that's not fair. And you let me say this we should never want God to be fair because if he were fair we would all be in eternity in hell we don't want him to be fair I want God to be merciful I want him to be gracious I want him to give to me what I don't deserve and I do not want him to give to me what I do deserve and so when we get that understanding then we can understand that when God brings His judgment, and we're gonna look at this Sunday, by the way, when we're in the book of Revelation, that we are really to worship God in the midst of His judgment, because His judgment is always righteous. It's always perfect. It's always in line with His character. Now, His analysis of verses relating to God and evil These are some things he just reminds us of. And I think these are some very helpful things. God uses all things to fulfill his purposes and even uses evil for his glory and for our good. We see that all around. We see that constantly. Um, We can see that in lives of individuals who have been mistreated, and yet God used that as a springboard to lead them to a place for his incredible glory. God never does evil and is never to be blamed for evil. He doesn't do any evil. Now, the God of Islam has the propensity or the ability to do evil. We talked about that earlier, that the God of Islam can be a malicious God, but he just chooses not to. Our God cannot be that, which gives us confidence that we can always trust that he will never do an evil thing okay god rightly blames and judges moral creatures for the evil they do even though he may work around behind the scene and use it for his own glory they're still accountable to it um evil is real not an illusion and we should never do evil for it will always harm us and others we have to come to this point where we confess that we do not understand how it is that god can ordain I put in parentheses allow okay that we carry out evil deeds and yet hold us accountable for them and not be blamed himself we can't fully understand that how does god use people who do evil things or maybe even sometimes is apparently involved with the evil choices they make yet he himself can never be blamed to be evil because He doesn't do any evil. In our minds, that's a hard thing for us to comprehend. And so, with this whole thing of concurrence, we can just see where He's constantly working in all things. Now, He, he gives the last section, which is dealing with government. God has a purpose, and He providentially governs or directs all things in order that they would fulfill His purposes. God has a purpose, and that we see Romans 8 28, that God works and causes all things to work together for His good to those who are called according to His purpose. See, that's a wonderful verse. God causes all things to work together for His good um, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Now, some people misquote that they just end that god causes all things to work together for good he does but he also does that for those who are called according to his purpose for those of us who have trusted christ here's the thing that we can rest assured in that this is not this kind of synergy where we live our lives and we hope just we you know you know it's it, that 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 phrase let go and let god that is a false doctrine There's nowhere in Scripture where it says that we're to let go and let God. In other words, Paul tells us that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which means in in the Greek means we're to walk alongside with God as he's doing this. He has a responsible part, and I have a role of obedience in following him, and I'm called to do that. And so as we uh, trust in the Lord in that, we can know that he's always behind the scenes. He closes with some important human actions. And here they are. We are still responsible for our actions. Every one of us. We're always responsible for the actions that God calls us to. And um, as I said earlier, um, there are times in our lives where that should lead us to repentance and brokenness. Our actions have real results and do change the course of events. I mean, sometimes the way that God will use you in your actions to impact the lives of other people. I'll give you an illustration. Your kindness towards your neighbor. Inviting them into your home. Having a meal with them. Building a relationship with them. Sharing the gospel with them and God using that obedience to impact their life and they come into a relationship with Christ. Or that co-worker, or your children, or your grandchildren. You see, God doesn't need us, but He chooses to use us to accomplish His good pleasure for His glory and for others good. And so, He uses our actions. I love this third one. Prayer is one specific kind of action that has definite results and that does change the course of events through prayer. Think about through the pages of Scripture. All the prayers um, that blessed the heart of the Father, and as a result of that, there were things that God did. Now, ultimately, God was fulfilling His good purpose in all of that. Even through the prayers of people, God works in our lives and in the lives of other people. We're responsible to act and not to wait on God. That's what I said. It's not let go and let God. And then lastly, we cannot fully understand this doctrine. I think that's the one point we can all agree on tonight. Now, as we're wrapping this up, we've got about six minutes. What questions came to your mind what issues that you really struggled with and what maybe comments that you might add to it? Yes sir yeah this this is this is one of those questions that's really hard to answer because here's the question God created Satan Satan was probably the most powerful, the most beautiful angel Isaiah 14. Um, Ezekiel 28, both of those passages paint pictures of Satan before the fall. He was called the beautiful cherub. He was probably responsible for the worship of heaven. His name literally means light bearer, Lucifer. Um, but we saw in Revelation this past week in chapter 12 that there was a war in heaven, and God cast him down. I said that, that word means to bounce. He got bounced out of heaven. And um, what we see there is that that was because he set himself up, as Isaiah said, five times in that passage in chapter 14. He says, I will. I will ascend above the clouds. I will sit on your throne. I will. He does that five times. So where did that evil come from? God created him in heaven. And you see these beings who are angelic beings, And Satan comes up with this pride in his heart and wants to take over. God cast him down. A third of the angels, however many that might be, came with him. And there's an age-old question. Where did that come from? You were raising your hand. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing, because the angels that went with him chose to go with him, and they were cast down with him. And the angels that stayed chose to stay, and they do the bidding of God. And the thing that we see in that whole picture is this mystery again of what we don't fully understand. But I do appreciate you say that God did not create evil, but the allowed that evil to exist. So the question comes back many times, well, if He's allowed it, then did He not ordain it? And all of these questions become to be circular. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. It's a great point, in fact. And, um, and so we can, we can look at that. It is interesting that the issue of pride, I will say this, that what we do see from Satan is that, and somebody said this one day, and I think this is an incredibly true statement, pride is the national religion of hell. It really is, because it's pride that people refuse to bow and to submit to god. Now, their eyes may be blinded by the god of this world, and they cannot see the glory of the gospel. We'll look at that when we deal with some other issues. Okay, Stan, did you have? Yeah, yeah, and we and we tend to we tend to grade evil, don't we? Yeah, um, to be a mass murderer and kill twenty something children in an elementary classroom we would say, man, that is pure evil. Somebody that goes into a church and shoots nine people in a prayer meeting, we would say, that is evil. How many of you, if you told your child that you can have all of these snacks, but you can't have these cookies, and they ate that cookie, how many of you would say that your child is evil and ban them forever from being in your home again? How many of you would do that? We wouldn't do that. Yet, the seriousness of that disobedience that Adam and Eve acted upon was enough to separate them from the loving creator that gave them paradise. And you might say, man, the crime, I mean, the punishment is not worthy of the crime. In our eyes, it isn't. But in God's eyes, it is because it does go back to that simple act of disobeying and being disloyal to the righteous king of the universe that's how serious sin is and yet we live in a world that that doesn't even exist anymore so here's what I want you to think of in God's providence okay there's no such thing as luck it's providence the next time somebody makes a great catch in the outfield don't say what a lucky catch say wow what a providential move (laughs) or Man, I was so lucky I didn't get a flat tire. It was just by God's providence that it didn't happen. What I want to train your mind to think in this next week is his providence. How many good things happened to you today? Do you even know? How many potentially bad things didn't happen to you today? Do you even know? The reality is this, is you're in God's hand. And as you're walking, and as Paul says in Acts chapter 17, we live, we move, we have our being in Him, there's this absolute providential care that God has over His people, and even the choices that I make. Now, we should never have a fatalistic approach, Well it doesn't matter what choice I make, God's going to use it for my good. Remember there's an accountability for that and consequences for it. So we choose to please God because He's worthy of our obedience. And we trust him that all through the course of the day, that he is watching over us. When I was a young man driving home from work, I was working sheet metal, coming down this road called Greenville Springs Road. A lot of truck drivers coming down the road constantly. I was driving my stepside Dodge pickup truck, had my window down because my air conditioner didn't work in Louisiana. That's not a pleasant thing. Have my arm out the window, and I'm driving along, and I'm thinking of God's sovereignty. And these trucks are just buzzing past me. I mean, and I'm thinking, God, at any moment, you can allow any one of those trucks to lose control, and they would take me out. I am under your sovereign hand. And I was going around a curve, and I've never had this ever, ever, ever in my life happen before or since then. But I'm driving, and all of a sudden, I just hear this voice in my head slide over. And instantly, I slid over, and a rock from a truck, that big, flew in, hit my back glass, and shattered it. If I wouldn't have slid over, it would have hit me right in the eye. Probably would have killed me. And I'm like, I gotta stop thinking about these kinds of things. <laughs> and, but the, the reality, I use that as an illustration, of, of how God is constantly watching over us. Think of all the ways that God protects you and your children and your grandchildren through the course of the day. And Really what that should drive us to do is just to say, Lord, you're in charge. I don't have to worry because you're preserving me. You're working in me. Your Holy Spirit indwells me. And I am yours. And I trust you completely. That's the wonderful thing about the sweet providence. of. I have, a, I have a saying that I always use. God's providence is so sweet. It is so sweet. Think about the way you met your spouse. You might want to blame the devil for that one, but no. <laughs> But no, you think about the way that God brought you together and the circumstances that orchestrated the events of your life and you think about all those things and those happen chance meetings that brought you to a place of great joy, behind the scene, there's a loving Father who's walking through all of this. And even though we can't fully understand it, I can embrace it and trust Him for it. So let's walk in His providence this week, okay? Um, And next week, we'll jump in chapter 9. We're going to take a week off when we get to the Thanksgiving week, give you a break for that, and then I think we're gonna take off from there all the way through December and jump back in January. So we have just a few more weeks left. Here's what I wanna encourage you and Thank you for staying with this. I've been doing my lessons. Chris and I have been doing our lessons. She's in a women's meeting tonight, so she couldn't be here. And Because I'm studying this with you. I, I, I've never gone through this book before. I'm going through it with you. And um, loving it and struggling through it, and my wife and I having great conversations through all of this. But it's been very, very enriching. Listen, don't feel like you have to get a grasp of everything. These are just seeds that God is planting in your life. And those of you online, just hang in there and keep doing that. And we're glad to walk with you through that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father, that there are mysteries about you that we will never know this side of heaven and that we will have all of eternity to be able to be with you. And to learn of you and to love you and to worship you father we thank you for your sweet providence in our life and even tonight as we go home and as we rest and as we go through the course of this week that we lean into you and father we love you thank you for loving us and we pray this in jesus name amen we hope that this podcast was a blessing to you and that you grew in your knowledge of god If you liked this podcast, I encourage you to share it with your friends and your family on social media so that others can hear the truth of God's word. Till next time.